background, it does say, like, in the very first verse of the book um, that it is set during the reigns of kings Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, which probably puts it in the latter half of the 8th century B.C. Why does this matter? Um, Because it helps us understand what's going on. Um, The kingdoms have already split at this point, and... um, Micah is speaking mostly to Judah, but he has words for both kingdoms because they're both a hot mess and that neither of them look the way God wants them to look. Um, this is also before the fall of Samaria. It's like right before the fall. And um, Micah says a lot of what's happening in these kingdoms um, is the cause of the fall. Um, also, fun fact, um, Micah was prophesying around the time of Isaiah and Hosea. So there's a couple prophets running around around then. And Micah actually uses a lot of, a lot of legal language in the book. When he comes, he speaks on behalf of God, and he's actually bringing a legal case on the behalf of God saying, this is why God is bringing judgment against you. And this is why you're going to be conquered. So if you want to use the Bibles in the seats in front of you, we're going to start on page 648, which is actually Micah chapter 3. There's seven chapters in Micah, so we're going to jump around a little bit. Um, But I'm going to read all of chapter 3 because I think it gives us a good picture of what a word of judgment looks like in Micah. So hold on. Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin, and break their bones in pieces, chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. And this is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. Therefore, night will come over you without visions and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. But as for me, that's Micah, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come. Therefore, because of you, 
Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. So this is a rough passage, um, but there's a reason that I picked it, uh, because it's a perfect example of God's judgment in the book of Micah. And Micah does have good news in it, that God personally intervenes as a judge and a shepherd for us, his broken people. He calls us out of idolatry and into righteousness. God's people, they don't look anything like him. If you remember last week when Jay was speaking um, about Jonah, he talked about um, when God reveals himself to Moses, God moves across the mountain and he says, I am the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And he reveals those characteristics of himself as he's presenting the law to his people in the hopes that they will be a reflection of him and his character and be a light to the world. But as we can see in what's happening in Micah is they're not even like nice neighbors that are quiet, don't bother anybody. They're like really, really horrible to each other, to everyone. And we see the severity of the sin Um, We see the rulers in verse 2, hate the good and love the evil. And Micah paints this really graphic picture, which I was like debating whether I should skip over those first three verses about like eating the flesh and stuff. Um, But what's happening there is God really is trying to strike at people's hearts that the leaders who were put there to take care of his people are so greedy, it's almost like they're ravenous. Instead of caring for their flock, it's like they're eating them up. Uh, The prophets, in verse 5, who are supposed to speak truth based on what God is speaking to them, are speaking based on who's feeding them and who's not. So in verse 5, they cry peace when they have something to eat but will wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. And the priests, in verse 11, teach for a price. So all forms of leadership have failed, the civil, prophetic, and religious. Rather than leading others to Yahweh and being in right relationship with them, they have all led the flock astray. So this passage makes us uncomfortable but we might better understand why God intervening as a judge is good news here. If the prophets are lying and the priests could be bought and the rulers were violent, there was cheating in business and um, the rulers were stealing land from the poor, something had to be done. And we think, oh, well, it's just the leaders. Like, we're, we, we all see corrupt leaders all the time. This is, that's just, you know, that's things that happen. Um, But it wasn't just the leaders. Micah goes on later in uh, uh, chapter 7, verse 2, and he warns that the faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood, and they hunt each other with nets. And he goes on later in the chapter to say that 
You can't trust anyone. You can't trust your friend. You can't trust the woman that you lie with. You can't trust your mom, your dad. God's people have failed in every way to look anything like him in his covenantal love. And he's coming to judge them in that failure. I think what's striking here is all of this is a result of not worshiping God properly. They don't have a heart for God. They're being greedy and they're eating. They're being selfish and they're, they're not in right relationship with God. So they're not in right relationship with each other. And I haven't even mentioned that they're actually idol worshiping. The covenant points them to life. And being redirected to it is good. But I think what we really see in these hard judgment passages is God's heart for the oppressed and God's judgment. Because we see accountability for the oppressors who thought that they could get away with anything that they were doing. And we also see that the oppressed are seen. So there's good news that God intervenes as a judge for us, his broken people. He calls us out of idolatry and righteousness and he shepherds us. So thankfully, sprinkled throughout Micah, there are pictures of God as a shepherd. In Micah 5, um, chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. So God personally will intervene as the good shepherd who cares for his lost sheep. He sees that they are in need of a leader as all the other leaders have failed. And he wants to care for them even though they will not care for themselves or each other. So I just want to stop here and ask, does anyone know what Micah means? I didn't know. It means he was like God. I think one of the, the best passages in Micah is at the very end. It's Micah seven eighteen. It says, Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all, all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of his name, they'll live securely in his greatness, and he will be our peace. He pardons the sin and forgives the transgression. Um, He'll have compassion on us and tread our sin underfoot. I can only think of one person, and that's Jesus. And in Jesus, we see the perfect picture of God's judgment for wrongdoing and oppression, and God is the good shepherd because Jesus is God in the flesh. So when Micah asks, who is like God, the answer is Jesus. And Jesus is so good because he invites us to join him in the work, even though we're just like the Israelites and we're just like the people in Judah 
we're broken and we're selfish. He invites us in. We just have, we're just lucky enough to be on the other side of his grace. And Jesus reflected that same love of justice and mercy that Yahweh had and desired in his kingdom in that time. I don't know if you guys, if you've been reading along, like in the Bible Project videos for this series. If you haven't, I, I really recommend the Bible Project videos. They just do a really good job. You can go like BibleProject.com or YouTube Bible Project. They just do a really good job explaining the book you're reading or a theme in the Bible. When Jay was preaching on Amos, he, they explained what justice and righteousness mean. And I, I didn't know this, and the, I think this is super important for us as followers of Jesus. Justice in uh, Hebrew means mishpat. That's super important that you know that. That's a Jeopardy question. Um, <laughs> but it, um, justice is concrete action to correct injustice and create righteousness. So we're correcting injustice and creating righteousness. Well, okay, well, what's righteousness? Righteousness is creating right relationship between people no matter their social difference. That's what righteousness is. When I, I don't know, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, righteousness is like having this weird like aura about you because you're standing like closer to Jesus or you're glowing a little bit. I had no idea that it's because you're intentionally seeking out creating right relationship between people no matter their social standing. Like that sounds way grittier and more practical and way more like relevant to Micah and some of the stuff that we're seeing in the world than I realized. So the good news is, is that God personally intervenes as a judge and a shepherd for us. He wants us to be people that do justice and seek righteousness. He shepherds us into those things, knowing that we're broken. He calls us out of idolatry and into righteousness, offering us righteousness through the blood of his Son, Jesus knows that our worship and our relationships are absolutely intertwined. In Micah 6.8, I mean, it's the most famous passage from Micah. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. When I was reading Micah, actually read through, um, someone bought me a, a Jewish study Bible, which I like to read through because you just get like a different perspective. And one of the commentators said, there's a rabbi that quoted that uh, 613 precepts were communicated to Moses. And then Micah came along and reduced them to three. Act justly love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Remember, act justly is to correct injustice and create right, equitable relationships between people, no matter their social differences. We're to love mercy, and we're to walk humbly with our God. It's not a left or right thing, It's a Christian thing.
God's frustrated with Israel because they're supposed to be his kingdom, right? And God's kingdom is where he gets his way. And in his kingdom, it's supposed to, in some sense, look like the, the Garden of Eden, right? Like, people should be taken care of. There should be right relationship. And that's not happening. So God's judgment is coming. And then you see Jesus. He stands up and reads the scroll of Isaiah, like, I'm coming to set the captives free and freedom from the poor. And he heals the sick. And Jesus talks about bringing this kingdom and this kingdom coming at hand. And Jesus ushers in this new kingdom. And we start seeing heaven breaking in. But we're in this kind of in-between right now where we see moments of heaven and God's kingdom. But we still see moments of brokenness and sadness. But the beauty of it is even though we're broken and sometimes we're the oppressors, God invites us to join him building his kingdom. It's a kingdom built on justice and mercy and righteousness. I see church in, these, in this minor prophet series, I see the Spirit speaking to us, an opportunity to be a church that's more than, oh, these are nice verses. Oh, this makes a really nice verse image to save to my Bible app profile. I think the Spirit wants to do a work in us that there's hard work that needs to be done, that there are right relationships that need to be made. Israel and Judah were invited into a covenant relationship with Yahweh to know him and be a light and a blessing to all nations, and they failed. And because of that, judgment came. But God also offered hope in the form of a shepherd, and that shepherd Jesus confronted evil, and he nailed it to the cross. And he invited his followers to join him, to confront injustice, to create right relationship. So when you hear the famous 6-8 passage, remember the beginning part. I have told you what is good, and I have told you what is required of you. So where is God inviting you? To act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly. Just a few tips. I would just say, like, expect to be uncomfortable. I think if the Spirit's moving and he's challenging you to deal with injustice and make right relationship, and that's actually happening, you're going to be uncomfortable. Um, and that's okay, because God's enough for that. And if, if relationships are shifting, there might be a little bit of give and take, and some of that give and take might be happening on, on my side. Um, and I have experienced that. And I, and I have experienced God showing up and being enough in that as well. I do think it's important that we remember that acting justly and loving mercy is not extra credit in our faith. It's core to our faith. There's a reason why Jesus flipped tables. There's a reason why he, he sought out the people that other people just walked past because those people matter to him. And what I love about Jesus is that he meets everyone right where, he, right where they need him. So the same spirit that convicts us is the same spirit that comforts us. So there's no fear there, right? I'm not, I'm not bringing condemnation this morning. It's the same spirit that says, okay, there needs to be a change, but Jesus is enough, and his love is there for you, and there's grace. So let's pray. God, we thank you that you are always with us. 
we thank you that unlike the people that Micah spoke to, that we have Jesus, and that we have your grace, and that we are reconciled to you. Would you please shepherd us into your kingdom? Would you correct us where we need to be corrected? Would you reveal those places in our heart where there is not right relationship, Lord? Would you make us people of justice? And would you um, give us the strength and the courage to start making those steps to be people of faith that look like you? In Jesus' name, amen.